Chris, welcome to the podcast. If you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your career journey so far. I mean, you're different to any of the other guests that we've had on, really. You're 20 years old and you've had over 30 work experiences already. Um, so that's crazy. So just give us a quick run through of your background and, and yeah, how you've progressed through your career so far. Yeah. So yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Reese. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Uh, moved here to London just a year ago. And I think I started my career journey even maybe like four or five years ago now, even back in high school, where, you know, I was very academically oriented, but I felt boxed in. So I did an internship at like age 15 at a mental health charity. And at that point, I was like, wow, this idea of project-based learning, this idea of experiential learning, learning by doing, really attracted to that. So from that, I built a nonprofit organization in Hong Kong that was all about project-based learning. So I ran that for four years now, stepped back as an advisor, but that basically catalyzed, I think, my sort of journey, both in sort of social impact, entrepreneurship, but also really personal development. Because I think that opened so many doors to me. Amazing people, but also for me to reflect, what do I want about, what do I want for my own career? And how do I really like uh, get more opportunities as well? So that was really helpful. Yeah. And now at the LSD, doing a bunch of things, but uh, it's all sorts of different projects that yeah, I would love to talk more about later. Yeah, so you, you you say you kind of found out that you're interested interested in this at the age of 15, but obviously you've still got your education and studies to do. How have you been balancing this desire and burning passion to be progressing in your career with like actually your learnings and, and make sure you get your education done? Yeah, and I think for every sort of entrepreneur, or every person who wants to like work on projects, that's like that big ephemeral question, right? It's like, you know, what's the value of that university education? I think I think about that every day, but I think it's still important just because of the network you get at university, um, but also just societies as well. So I think by just attending and being in that university network, that already opens the door. You have that student status. But I think even academically, so I study international relations, which is, I think, pretty rare for someone who's like very into business and entrepreneurship. But I think that gives a bit of contrast. It's much more essay-based. It's much more theory-based. Um, it's quite a bit different from what I do day-to-day as well. So I enjoy it. So I, but I'd say I spent probably only 20% of my time uh, on my degree, on like academic components. But I think for this year, moving forward, I'm trying to spend more of it just to get my ROI in terms of, uh, you know, I'm paying international fees. I want to make my money's worth as well. Yeah, and that's a little bit about the project you're working on right now. It, it's it's all about building, you know, informal networking, making it a bit more accessible, um, which is something that I really believe in as well, because I think when you hear the word networking, it's confusing what that actually means in practice. Exactly. You know, everybody wants to do it, everyone wants to meet new people, but it's like, oh, how do you even go about doing it? Do you approach on LinkedIn? Do you go to networking events? And if you do go to networking events, how do you even start a conversation that's going to be worthwhile and, and meaningful. So, I mean, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah. So, yeah, when I arrived in LSC, again, it's a great network, strong alumni network as well. But one thing I noticed was there's a lack of a campus community, right? Uh, the minute people come in for freshers, people break off into social cliques. And when I ask people who graduate, how many percent of people uh, do they know on their own program, they tell me maybe 20%. And I ask, like, how many people would you be willing or comfortable to reach out to? And they tell me maybe, like, five people, ten people. And I think that's such a shame, right, because so much of the value of the university is that network. Um, they're missing out. 
So I set off to solve these design questions. It's like, how do you build an interconnected campus community? And now I think what we're trying to build is this idea of how do you reduce the barriers for reaching out? How do you give people an excuse to reach out? And it's I've been, again, big networking events, parties. And the issue of these is that, again, maybe if it's a good event, you can talk to like five, 10 people at most, right? You're like moving around the room, trying to talk to everyone. But these events are, I think, generally very ineffective. People break off into little groups. You're only able to get so much out of it. So I think even of all the communities I'm in as well, massive group chats, lots of different things going on, but they're rarely ever these triggers or again, these excuses to gather. So we're launching end of this month, micro meetup, and our goal is basically give you an excuse to reach out through these small, spontaneous, surprising micro events. So I ran like big events before, but I realized actually these small, smaller events, just like three to five people, these like small scale activations actually work out super well because you're able to get to know the people better, you're able to form bonds. So the idea is three to five people, let's say on a Wednesday afternoon, you have like nothing to do, right? Say within an hour, you could post on our platform, say who wants to go to a pub, wants to try this new restaurant. And that will let you, I think, rapidly meet new people, but also for a community like an LLC, you're able to rapidly build these like interconnections, which we think, again, is going to be so valuable. Yeah, it's clear that through all the experiences that you've done, that you're clearly like very passionate about different areas of careers and, and looking into all those different ones. But as it happens, what you're doing right now, I mean, it's, it's really fueled by a frustration, really. And, you know, obviously, you're passionate about network and everything. But the problem you're actually trying to solve, your, your main motivation is that what the solution you want doesn't exist. And that's what you're trying to do better. Like, how, how would you think that has contributed to your desire to keep doing this company? And will you know, this new learning that you've made that maybe the frustration element is more important than the passion. How are you going to utilize that going forwards in your career? Yeah, I think that's sort of guided basically everything I do in a way. And I think that's a great way to really find a problem to solve as well. It's like you're frustrated by it. It's something you face every day. You want to get rid of this problem, right? And I think that's the core of getting more users, right? You have to help solve their problems, solve or address their frustration. And assess like how frustrated are they, right? How much are they willing to pay, for example? So for me, even back like four or five years ago for this nonprofit, it was the same sort of frustration. It was a lack of a space for project-based learning for this sort of discussion around sustainable development or social issues. And again, just wanted to solve that, build that network, build that organization. And I think same here in this case, as a fresher arriving on campus last year, saw the sort of, again, lack of a community, wanted a community, so therefore, I'm like trying to go solve it. I think in the future as well, a lot of the venture ideas I have are always like very personal to me, just because A, it's easier to sort of understand the pain points, understand what the customer would want, but also it's easier in terms of go-to-market, right? So for example, at the LSE or at these London universities, um, I have a strong network, or I have these different, I run these freshers pages as well which gives me like easy access to like do these user interviews, validate the idea further, but even to launch. And I think this is the same mentality I'll be using going forwards for like other ventures, but for my career as well. It's like, what's that frustration? How can I sort of resolve it? And how do I like, yeah, solve more problems basically. Yeah, and obviously this is something that I've been learning recently is that you need to utilize while you're being young not just to try new things, but that naivety and ambition to learn, like that's infectious and, and, and that's what will make people give you that opportunity. And it's clearly you've had that awareness from a very young age. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
what would be some advice to people and actually, you know, gain that mentality that, you know, it, there's all these like social pressures and, and different things that will stop you from, you know, maybe talking about your career in the early mm. stages of university. But ultimately, I think it's fair to say that every person wants to do well in their yeah. career. It's just some people find it harder to actually get into that mindset. Yeah. I think one, two pieces of advice. One is like, say yes to more things and always have this sort of like scout mindset. And what I mean by that is like, always be on the lookout for like new opportunities. Because I think um, as a lot of people who like build know, it's like, you never know like what's that like serendipitous encounter right? where it's like, oh, it's a new, it's like one random encounter that leads to like a whole new partnership, right? Or a sponsor. And I think students maybe sometimes they may be more tunnel vision. They're like, okay, I only have this one goal. Or I just want to study or focus on my academics. And that like closes them off to a lot of things. Whereas I think for the past few years, my mentality has always been to say yes to as many things. I have like four or five coffee chats a week, even if I don't see like an immediate ROI or like immediate reason why I should even talk to them. It's like, you never know what may come down, like in the, in, down the line. And it's just this mentality of building a network. So I think reframing that mindset, it's like you can do things that aren't scalable. You can do things that may not immediately benefit you, but just because you make these connections and make these links, they're going to benefit you down the line. So it's like getting in that mindset. And to your point about, I think, talking about careers, I think this is the thing that I think more people should be focusing on as well. It's this idea that a lot of people don't like sort of self-promotion or don't like, you know, talking about themselves, right? They prefer doing it. But I really like this framework and it came across where it's like, uh, how do you increase your like surface area of luck, right? Like great framework. And it's basically this like axis where one axis is like how good you are at what you do, but the other axis is like how good you are communicating what you do. I think by posting content or just sharing, you automatically maximize the amount of other opportunities you can get. And I think students are doing this more and more now. You see so many people on like LinkedIn, a lot more like even high school students are like, hey, um, I can be proud about my career journey. I can be proud about trying to figure things out. Um, and by posting or sharing about my wins or just like things I've been thinking about, I can meet new people, new opportunities and actually help like build that my career growth like way faster. So I think, yeah, two pieces of advice there. Yeah, and that all kind of, kind of comes under the scope of personal branding, yeah. right? And on LinkedIn, I mean, on first uh, first viewing your profile, you'll see, you know, Future Minds uh, Award and, and all these different experiences and everything. But what do you actually, what are you trying to make your personal brand? Because, you know, starting as you mean to go on is, is, mm -hmm. is very important. And, and like, because you've been doing this so young, you're essentially giving yourself a head start on that, that personal branding journey. But yeah, what, what, what is your personal brand as of right now, would you say? Yeah, I think Corbett right now is like community building. So I think the through line is your across all of my experiences. It's a very like people oriented. So even right now for my community, even though we're a tech platform, the core of it is like we're solving for how do you build strong interconnected communities. So for my other like roles as well, be that for like our entrepreneur society at LSE or for World Economic Forum Global Shapers, it's still solving sort of similar problems. It's like, how do you bring people together? How do you like maximize uh, the value of like being in a community? So I think that's what I'm trying to really hone in on is like communities, gatherings, uh, how do you build effective sort of groups as well? 
I think that's like a big through line. But also social impact broadly. I think I want the things I do to have some sort of meaning or some sort of like broader vision or goal. So it's not doing things for the sake of doing things. There's like a wider social good aspect to it. So I think those are the two keywords that I think come to mind right now. Yeah, and let's hone in on some of those experiences that you've had and maybe which ones were most formative to you um, and at which stage. But yeah, what, so you said your first one was just a charity involvement. Just give us a quick run through of, of how you made your next decision and also when you knew it was time to move on to your next mm -hmm. journey. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, for context, uh, back in Hong Kong, yeah, launched, scaled this youth-led nonprofit um, that's about project-based learning. So it's called Is It HK? So I ran that for three years and we got it to 300 volunteers across 80 schools. It's one of the largest youth-led nonprofits in Hong Kong. That opened the doors for a lot of what I do now in terms of like the networks I'm in, uh, a lot of the visibility as well. But up to a certain point, uh, I was in my gap year actually, and I was spending a bit of that time focusing on like, how do I create a strong succession strategy? So a lot of people in high school, they launch projects that don't really continue on. There's no like succession strategy. It's just purely for university apps. And that's really, again, a loss of value because uh, you miss out on bringing that impact to university. So I spent part of my gap year figuring out how do I really scale that organization to a level that I can keep going and self-sustaining. So yeah, we devised like a whole succession strategy, got like a new president on board as well. But I knew at that point I was, I was ready to move on because well, firstly I was moving to London, so it's harder to really manage and really do a lot of day-to-day -day work. But also I wanted to solve like another problem. I think the nonprofit and charity model is great in terms of like building large volunteer networks, but it's not as scalable. And I had a lot of, I think, difficulty really figuring out how do I turn it into something that is self-sustaining financially. It's something that really has that momentum for rapid growth. So I think it was good at what its purpose was really, right? As a way to get students involved in building projects, be that magazines, podcasts, all the way to like actual events that gathered these like change makers. But I was like, you know what? I think it's ready to hand a baton, um, but let the organization continue doing the great work. So I'm still on board as an advisor, but again, the impact from that organization it's opened so many doors for me now where it's like, I think that was like this really big formative experience for me to say, hey, you know, uh, reaching out to new people, sharing about my experiences. So yeah, I think that was a, a big sort of pivotal like moment in my sort of early years, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder for people like yourself, I mean, me personally, like I've had my own journey with this idea of what working hard actually mm. means. I mean. From the outside looking in, it just seems like you've maybe you've always been working hard, and it's almost ingrained within you. But you know, if you look at myself, you know you might see UCL and you know doing different companies and posting stuff on LinkedIn. But you know there are there are definitely days and periods where I'm just like, God, I'm I'm not doing mm -hmm. as much work as I want. Or if it's academics, you know, and maybe a module specifically where I'm like, I just can't yeah. put my time to this, can't work hard. Does, does working hard come naturally to you or did you have to really work on that? Yeah, I mean, funny story, even yesterday, maybe it was because of the heat, but I really had that moment of self-doubt as well. I was just like, you know, in my room, sort of like, there's like 10 different emails coming in, like so many pieces of different work. And I was like, you know what? I just want to like take a break right now, take a shower, just like relax. I have these like moments as well where like I'm not feeling as productive. That's something I'm trying to optimize for as well. But I'd say... 
I wouldn't necessarily, I obviously sort of work hard and put in the time for all these projects, but I think it's really still a skill that I'm, I'm working on and building. I think it doesn't really, I think I have the motivation and I have ambition, but I think consistency is actually still something I'm working on. Um, so it doesn't come to me as naturally maybe as other people. So it's like really trying to figure out, okay, can I time block to work and focus on a specific project? Can I really like delegate more so I can be more effective in what I do? So I'd say it's definitely still a learning curve, but I think it's, I've gotten better at it. Um, but I also think besides working hard, I think it's exactly what you said. What does that even mean? I think there's also that misconception. It means, you know, putting in like 10, 12, 20 hours a day when I think a lot of it is really making smart decisions that have like, you know, this like exponential effect. So it's like this, like what 20, 80 principle, right? It's like 80% of the outcomes can actually come from 20% of the inputs. Uh, so it's really figuring out what you should be prioritizing and how those activities can lead to like greater returns. So I think that's a strategy I've been focusing on a lot as well. It's like, instead of trying to just like do one thing for 20 hours, it's figuring out, okay, should I be spending 20 hours on that? Or should I be spending maybe five hours, get a lot of the ROI, get a lot of the impact um, and do other things as well. So I think that's helped me more than say, just simply sitting down and like doing one thing for 20 hours, which I think would make me burn out quite quickly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think from my personal experience, I felt quite behind in terms of my career by the time I reached my final year compared to the other people that used to sell and everything. And I thought, you know, doing the podcast and Water 2 and Graduate Guide, like there was a point where I felt, God, I'm, I'm like, or even my parents questioning, are you doing too much? Are you going to like let those two years of education slip and not, you know, get a 2-1 or anything? And I actually think that doing stuff like the podcast and it really fueled my like efficiency of working yeah. on like, you know, studies and maybe I'm less like directly interested in and like I don't know giving yourself like that allotment of time throughout mm -hmm. a day it kind of becomes more automated that yeah. like working hard and ambitious like nature so yeah I mean obviously with you your main thing you're working on right now is this this community-based uh you know socializing and and you actually having fun and, and really feel like you're being fulfilled at the same time so i mean when you started this how much did that come into your thought process yeah i think i think that's what helps me get a lot of things done as well as like i think this is the case to many like entrepreneurs it's like and the advice people give is you have to really enjoy what you're doing so it doesn't feel like work you know I, i've seen people who like do interviews they say you know the best response I want for someone in my team is like, when they ask a question about work-life balance, they they say, well, you know, work and life to me are really the same. And it's a rare sort of thing to like enjoy work that much. But I think if you found that problem you want to solve, or in my case, it was like a frustration, then you're really sort of motivated in a different way. You don't consider it the same way as, okay, like doing an act of five or doing something that, you know, you're just doing for the sake of it. So I think that has helped a lot. It's like, you know, something, I have like ownership over something that I have like, I see the vision translate into like reality and yeah, it doesn't really feel like work. So that helps a lot. Yeah. And in terms of like actually keeping your own mental right, because you know, you can talk about everything you want about the career, mm -hmm. everything, but given that this episode is, is of a current student and, and not someone speaking retrospectively, like you're actually actively trying to juggle a lot of things and, and yeah, still socialize still do the sport you want still like do the passions that have no contribution to your career i mean 
are you, are you struggling to juggle that right now? And and if so, what what learnings have, have you made so far? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely a struggle. So I'm at a point where like, um, right as I said previously, my mentality was to say yes to everything. I've now like start to become like slightly more selective, just because like if I don't, then I'll be taking on too much that I can't simply like focus or give these projects the right amount of time or dedication. So even now I'm like trying to set those boundaries, but I think, I think relaxation is also something that is like, I'm trying to work on as well. So like finding like hobbies and time for these hobbies. So like, you know, I'd still spend time maybe and night like binge watching TV shows, like things that just have no ROI. I think I'm the type of person that sort of still finds time to do these things, but it's just tricky. But I think, again, it's what you need to have, like, just to keep sane, I think, at the end of the day. You need time and spots where it's like, you're not constantly thinking about your venture or these projects, just because that does definitely leads to burnout. And I think I was a person who wouldn't get burnt out, but I'm at that point where I think recently was like, okay, maybe I'm doing a bit too much. It's time to scale back a bit, time to have a bit more focus and time to like set more boundaries, basically. Yeah, and I think something that would be fair to say about you is because you started so young, like you, you, like I said, mentioned earlier, you've had this head start. And I think one of the most useful head starts that it appears you may have got is dealing with imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're going into like, you know, US State Department yeah. roles and all these things that people work years to gain any kind of experience to have access to that role, let alone get it. And have you, I mean, you must have a pretty healthy relationship with the idea of imposter syndrome. And when did you start, you know, what, what age and, and how did you overcome the idea of imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think definitely having a head start helps because like no matter where you're at with your journey at the beginning, you're certainly going to get imposter syndrome because especially if you're doing your own project and all of that, it gives you the leverage points and opportunities to just be in so many amazing spaces. So for example, I remember back with my youth nonprofit, I was doing a bunch of speaking engagements. And one of the ones that stood out was I like cold called an educational conference. One of these like big summits for like educators, principals and all of that. And I was like, hey, sorry, website. Uh, we'll love to like do a talk if it fits your theme and all of that. And they actually got back to me. They're like, hey, yeah, sure. We'd love to have you. Um, again, I was the only sort of like Gen Z or student speaker in that space. Um, all the other principals were like principals or like professors and all that. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I'm definitely like not the normal profile you'll see on this sort of, sort of uh, lineup. But again, there's a reason they wanted me to be there. Um, even though if I don't have the same qualifications, they saw the value, right? They saw that I could add a value to that conversation. So even at that point, I was like, yes. It obviously looks pretty weird. Yes, this is not usual, but there's a reason why you're there. And that mindset really helped. And again, when I was there, yeah, even though I didn't have the same background as all the other speakers, it was, again, back to this point, the people there really appreciated that I offered something they couldn't find from the other talks, something that they couldn't find from the keynotes. And so it was really well received. And I think even then at that point, I saw the impact of like being in these non-traditional spaces, being in like these weird crazy rooms where people are just like way more senior than you. I think that mindset has helped me for many future things where I'm like, okay, if I'm meeting someone who's like 50, who's like a CEO and all of that, again, there's a reason why you're there. There's a reason like there's the value um, you can still add. And that has helped a lot. But even now it's like, I try to keep that open mind. It's like, yeah, you, you'll definitely start off with imposter surgery though. 
Yeah, and you mentioned just there your your background being a little bit different. I mean, you said you recently moved to the UK, so I guess that technically you fall under an international student, like being educated in um, in England, and a lot of our following now um, is international students, mm-hmm. and I think like you know, if I think I have it unfair in terms of like where what I can what jobs I can get and like. I'm applying to loads and being rejected to them, like they have it ten times harder. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because you start so young, maybe it's not like a problem you directly face because you've got all this work experience. But what would be your advice to people, to international students, and how they can get ahead and you know also just deal with it, like, you know, that rejection and keep yeah. on going? I think definitely, especially international students, have to savvy about be savvy about networking. I think, and particularly savvy about their career strategy. And I think personal branding is at the core of it as well. Because again, if you're going in a job market where there's like hundreds and thousands of applicants even for like really competitive jobs, if you don't have the work authorization, if you don't have that like link, it does get harder. However, if you differentiate yourself with a strong personal brand, you basically aren't competing in the same pool for a lot of job opportunities, for a lot of different like leverage points because you stand out from the student population. You get access to opportunities that aren't even advertised. So I think that makes a big difference because if you're an international student and you're not really trying to network, trying to meet new people, trying to build that brand, then you're competing with the domestic pool of applicants and students and everyone. And that makes it... I think 20 times harder. So I think more international students should be looking at how can I build more connection points and try really to get the most out of the ecosystem, right? Get the most out of different communities here in London or in the UK more broadly. Um, but I think generally it's there still needs to be a lot of work done to like reduce those barriers, right? Because this doesn't necessarily come naturally. So it's like one hand you have to be ambitious and take initiative, but on the other hand, there still needs to be work done to at least make these spaces more accessible. Yeah, and do you need to know what that brand is going to be before you start building this personal brand? Mm, that's a tough one. I think ideally, yes, but that's a big ask, right? If you're a student, and even for myself, so I'm still refining and sort of iterating on my own personal brand. So I think it's okay to start off not knowing what that brand looks like. People just enjoy like useful pieces of content. People just enjoy hearing your voice. People just enjoy people who take initiative, go out there, meet new people, so I think it doesn't need to be a niche necessarily, unless you're really trying to go right into that content creator sort of category. So I think a lot of students have definitely things to share, just be it like their involvement in university, like different things they're passionate about. Uh, but I think they should work towards that niche for sure. And work towards like maybe a project or something that much like a podcast, right? Gives you an excuse to reach out to people. And I think that's like a big, big, big like point that I think international students should focus on. Yeah, and, and the reason why I started a podcast is because at the time I I didn't think like I knew what my personal brand would be, but I knew that the people I'd be interviewing would mm. deliver genuine value, and and in turn I could try and discover what mine might be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, personal branding is a weird one because it is a new term. Like, it definitely wasn't around when my parents were uh, having a company. In fact, like, if there was a found, if there was a company, you very rarely knew the yeah. founder. The people like Richard Branson might have pioneered this idea of attaching a name to a brand in terms of like growth and marketing and everything like that. But 
I think pers- people, with personal branding, you can take a lot of learnings from branding in itself. Because when you look yeah. at branding with come within companies, um, it really is a lot of a not stealing, but you know, looking at what people are doing mm-hmm. and just like like you said, iterating on, on what on what they're doing. Whether it's yeah. you saw a LinkedIn post that worked and you thought I resonated that, I could try and replicate that. That's you know something that I would say would be a good piece of advice. I mean, yeah, what's your opinions on that? Yeah, I think definitely we've come a long way where, you know, previously your CV should be something that's kept private. Uh, you shouldn't be talking about like your job or salary, all these different things. But I think, for example, LinkedIn has sort of revolutionized that, right? With this concept now that your CV can be instantly viewed by millions and millions of users at any point in time and sort of, in all over the world. So I think that has revolutionized sort of how we see it. And then content creators as well is sort of a whole new category of celebrity in terms of the value uh, they get from like filming, you know, a 10 minute YouTube video, for example. So I think it's pretty radically transformative. That means that now is the time, right, to, to get on board. But I think definitely, even if you haven't figured out like what your voice is, you can still like make a start, right? You can still like, start building things, iterating things. And I think why it's come more naturally to me is I've always enjoyed like more like verbal things versus like numerical things. So I like a lot of the roles was always like a comms uh, background as well. So instead of doing my own personal brand, I was often like doing more comms for like nonprofits or ed tech companies, startups or like bigger companies. So it's always like, okay, how do you communicate their message effectively? What are the different strategies to do like, you know, press releases, uh, how do you engage with like other stakeholders, like government bodies and all of that? So I took all those learnings and I was like, okay, how do I apply it to myself as a personal brand? And I think that's what helps me a lot. And but also like it's something I enjoy, like communications is something I enjoy. So it's like, okay, now I get to do it to myself and treat myself as a brand, right? And derive therefore a lot of value from it. Yeah, and obviously you've worked for a lot of companies, but now you're kind of venturing into doing something for yourself and, and becoming a founder. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a solo founder of this company, right? Yeah. And I mean, what's the logic behind that? Because obviously a lot of what you're saying is this community idea mm-hmm. and, and, and being in constant conversation with people, mentors, people that can hold you to account. But yeah, you don't have that direct person to hold you to account to make yeah. it happen. Was that on purpose or, uh, yeah, just coincidental? Yeah, I think it's more like a pragmatic reason. I think definitely still looking for like the right fit for a co-founder, but probably technical. So I think, again, I'm a non-technical founder, very early stage. So I think the the focus for me was like, I would do a lot more like comms, uh, strategy, fundraising work, uh, team building, HR operations, and all of that. And again, we're a product that's very low tech, it's no code. So we didn't think it was the right time to bring in like a technical founder yet the value would not be as much, but I do have a very strong team. So we do have now like 20 people, actually, students, part-time basis, like building at this venture, focusing on the, these core verticals as well. So it's still like a very vibrant ecosystem. But I think what I've sort of seen, is like many people perhaps like rush to getting a co-founder, even though there might not be like the best alignment. And I think definitely like most VCs prefer like a, they don't, they don't really want to see like solo founders, but I think until you're at that right point where you see the right fit and the right person, I think people should be very careful just because of pragmatic reasons, but also because like, if the vision isn't very clear or they don't necessarily sort of 
share the same way, like especially very early on, like that could be very, very damaging. So I'm very happy to have like a really strong team that I think eventually may even move up, maybe one of them can move up to co-founder status or maybe like, I'll find a technical person that can really help take us to the next level. We're thinking, yeah, it's more pragmatic, pragmatic sort of situation. Yeah, and albeit you're 20 years old and I'm 22, we're actually at very similar stages in terms of where our companies and the branding of that company is in that we've established what we're trying to achieve and people will know our company for that. But in actually achieving that, we've, well, from what you've just said, onto the strategy of helping, like, like students get involved and, yeah. and helping out. And yeah, I mean, like you said, you've got 20, we now have roughly a team of 30 people helping out. I mean, my personal driver behind that was two reasons. I think that students are very untapped resource. Yeah. Um, they're these really well-educated, ambitious young students that can't get the work experience throughout the year because it's really spring weeks or summer internships or nothing else. And so in some ways, yeah, I feel like, why would you not just get them to help out? I mean, exactly. and the other reason is, I genuinely feel like I'm providing something for them. If you're in a position that you put yourself, you're, you know, your head on the block, so to speak, and, and you're the one at the head of it. Not everybody has to do that to be successful. You can grow together and, and people can learn from you and then jump onto the next thing. Yeah, what was your own thinking behind uh, bringing more people into the team? Yeah, I absolutely love that. I agree. I think students are an untapped resource 100%. Um, I think it's pretty funny. I think all the venture ideas I've had, even prior to this micro meetup idea, even back to like new flat nonprofits, has always been about how do you tap into the student sort of community or pool? Because again, I think the expectations are quite different. A lot of them value like strong work experience. A lot of them have a lot to offer and therefore you have a lot to offer them. So I think I've always sort of been like, okay, even for like different ideas around like marketplaces, right? Like how do you build something that's like peer to peer? Um, how do you let students get value from each other, for example. So a lot of the teams I've worked with have just been like full, fully youth-led, full like student teams. I think exactly as you said, uh, it goes both ways. There's so much value like both sides can provide. But I think again, it's also that like hunger as well because a lot of them will be like their first sort of like work experience, right? So there's a lot of like mentorship involved. And I find that like really fulfilling as well because you're both still like learning. You're both still sort of figure things, figuring things out. And therefore, a lot of times you're also in the same state in life. So there's a lot of like relatability, right? Between like, okay, we don't know what's going on. How do we solve this, right? Um, so I think that helps a lot. But 100% agree, I think, sort of students, especially a lot more startups should be figuring, how do you like get them in, like even, like not, not even like post-grad, right? I think a lot of uh, accelerators, a lot of that, a lot of these organizations focus like immediately post-graduation. But I think even first years, right? There needs to be, something like this to compete with like spring weeks and all these like traditional corporate paths, even way earlier on. And I think, again, a lot of what's have value there. Yeah, it's taken me until the last few weeks to realize this, but yeah, it's funny because at, at school, when you're doing your studies, a lot of people say, and it actually is a proven way of learning, that if you can teach somebody else something, mm -hmm. then you probably know it, right? Or at least you're on your own ways to knowing it and you can actually really apply that to careers as well so a teacher would be your mentor in a career sense and then you know the people below you and years below at university or even peers that are interested in what you're doing 
you can mentor them and, and you're teaching your learnings and just iterating your own head. And, and I think that's just a really good process of like making sure what you think is, is true and, and just getting new ideas on that. Um, what have been for you some, some key learnings that you've made in terms of, yeah, exactly that, I mean, progressing in your career, having the right influences, because ultimately you are who you surround yourself with, really, that I'm a big believer in that. For sure, I think of that mentorship aspect, like, both ways, like, I, like, do mentorship for a bunch of, like, edtech companies, for students in high school as well, and for, like, the public speaking engagement I do, a lot of it is, like, high school, it's, like, next week I'm doing, like, a tour in Hong Kong for, like, a bunch of secondary schools where I'm just, I get cold email them, I was like, hey, we'd love to deliver a workshop on, like, social entrepreneurship, building impactful projects, like, just getting that opportunity to give back, and I think, as you said, these are the opportunities to find even like what you know, right? Like putting it into something that's digestible, thinking what's the best way to communicate or synthesize your learnings right across like five years, for example. So this is like even practice for me, like refining every time I do a talk. It's like, what's the best, most digestible chunk of content? Um, but I think the other side as well, like getting valuable mentors, even for myself, like for MicroMeetup, I have several very, very strong mentors and also for a lot of, of my other mentors and previous ideas, it's like getting people to help and give you advice. And I think people should be more willing to ask for help. I think that's definitely, I mean, that's the reason I think networking is so beneficial. It's not just because you met these people, it's because at the end of the day, um, it's a relationship that's gonna be built on like helping each other out, hopefully, down the line. So I think that to me has been super, super helpful and like accelerated my journey a lot. It's like knowing people who can like help make intros, knowing people who can like give a piece of advice and I think it goes both ways. So I think, yeah, surround yourself with people who motivate you, but also surround yourself sometimes with people who are maybe at a completely different life stage just because of like that completely different perspective they can provide. Yeah, so if that's, you know, who you surround yourself with, and the other thing for learning is consumption, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's reading or listening or watching. and how have you, you know, that journey of, of making sure you're consuming the right content? Because there's a lot out there. Yeah. There's a lot, almost too much. And it, and it can be quite, quite paralyzing at times. Loads of different podcasts and loads of different, you know, bright networks, yeah. you know, LinkedIn, all these different places to look for your career. What have you done to try and improve your efficiency and consuming the right content? Yeah, that's a great question. I think still figuring that out. I think I'm a person who, like, wants to, like, read everything and like if you see my sort of LinkedIn save section there's probably like 50 like articles or pieces of content that I still need to read but I think what's helped for me is like trying to like figure out what has been like the most reliable pieces of content or like what sources do you keep going back to I think a lot of the content is like new uh, a lot of them are inbound so it's like figuring out what has been the most reliable source e.g. you like five pieces of content from them ten pieces of content from them so one good one, I think it's 80,000 hours. We should come across it, but for career strategy, it's great because they do like career guides that focus especially on impact, but they also look at like transferable career capital. They also look at other sort of like leverage points. So that has been great and I go back to it like constantly. Uh, but also like just books by the same author, for example. So one of my favorites is like The Startup of You by Reid Hoffman, just because again, I think it's that mindset where entrepreneurship isn't just about starting a venture, you can also apply it to career strategy. And I think students should definitely read it because a lot of what like 
startup founders do can be applied to like even just a job search for like something in consulting even. So finding like reliable offers, finding reliable websites, I think has been my go-to strategy. Yeah, and for someone who's had so much experience at the age that you have um, in so many different fields, you must feel like, you know, maybe compared to the people that you work with, like, not to say that you've got a superiority complex, because I don't believe that you do, you seem very grounded down to earth, but then inevitably it's going to be an element of, I want everything to be done my way, like, I know how I want it to be, I have a good level and consistency and things I want to be put out in a certain way. But you're building this team, you've got these students working with you. How That process of delegation, how are you making sure you get that right? Yeah, for sure. I think that's also a tough one because it's like, yeah, like what's that threshold for quality control? And again, I think I'm still that big believer in like 80-20. Like, I don't think I'm like necessarily perfectionist. So I like set a threshold. It's like, okay, if it's effective and good enough, I think that's like, we need to just get it done. So that has helped a lot. And as a result, I think even students, a lot of them, like their first job experience, again, a lot of it is just mentoring. So it's like a dual learning process. So I think that's that's been fine. But I think there has to just be more of a yeah, mentorship mindset. You can't expect everything to be like 100% perfect. You also can't expect, especially students, to be dedicating their full working hours on this, right? So I think one skill I've developed is figuring out how to like leverage the most out of people with limited working hours. So it's like if you're only doing like a few hours um, per week even, right? Like how can you most effectively use their time and use their passion? So I think working with students is quite different to like say you're a full team of five, full-time, completely focused. Figures out like just setting clear goals, KPIs, but also really adjusting your expectations, like figuring out, okay, how much value can they provide? What are they particularly good at? What do they want to learn? And then again, being much more of a mentor than say like a boss or someone who's like simply trying to like get their 10 hours a day, you know, checked off and take a box, right? Yeah, and I think something that's probably more of an apt name for this episode would be the undergraduate guide because, mm-hmm. you know, really as much as like you will actually actually act as an inspiration to people who are already graduated, like it's, you're helping people you know, in those earlier stages, like come to university and hit the ground running with everything. And on that, I mean, obviously it's because it's a slightly different episode. I'm particularly interested in your own idea of success. I, I ask all my questions or all my guests this question because I think it's fascinating that idea of when you first go to university and start your career, like, oh, this is what I think will be success, money, this, whatever. And then however many years down the line, it's, it's completely different. There's different drivers and different things you want to succeed. But for yourself, what is your own idea of success at this current moment in time? Yeah, I think right now at least it's this big vision of like making an impact or leaving sort of a legacy. So I think oftentimes like for people of money as their North Star, that often sort of like drops down in sort of their priorities list after their like 30s or once they reach a certain point, right? There's that sort of study where it's like after a certain point of income, you're happy to sort of drops down. But I think this idea of legacy, which is so much harder to capture and so much harder to put a KPI to it, it's like going to be a constant driver for you. If your goal is like, okay, by the time I have on this earth, what are ways I can make an impact? What are ways I can benefit, influence, or add value to as many people as possible? So I think that's been a big driving force because again, I consider myself to be a community builder. I work with people 
more than numbers, more than anything else. So again, it's like, how many people can you impact? And I take different approaches to that, whether it's my own ventures, whether it's like supporting these bigger networks and institutions. It's like, how can you, yeah, benefit the most people? So I think that helps ground you, but also gives you something to keep striving towards versus something, say, like money, a certain job title, a certain like amount of material success that, you know, once you hit that KPI or once you hit that mark, it's not as a big or a grand sort of motivation. Yeah, as we come towards the end of the episode, I want to ask you one final question, and that's in five years' time, if you were to look back at this podcast and one one key learning that you've made at this current moment, moment in your career and your life, what would that one piece of advice be for your future self? I think definitely try to relax more. I think at that point, hopefully things have settled down. I have even greater clarity about what I'm doing, even less so in that sort of explore stage. So I think my advice to future me would be sort of relax, take things slowly, but keep doing what you're doing. But just like be mindful about, you know, how you're spending your time. And hopefully at that point, you know, you've built the life you want for yourself. Grace, thanks so much for coming on. Been a great guest. Cheers.